0: behaviors that hide anxiety or OCD. So these are behaviors that your child might show on purpose so that they don't have to deal with their anxiety or OCD. And a lot of them are behaviors that just show up instead of the obvious signs of anxiety or OCD. So I want to go through some of the most common ones. And the hope is that even if you understand your child's anxiety or OCD, you'll have a better understanding Of some ways that are maybe less obvious to you that are happening as well. I know with my kids, a lot of times their anxiety or OCD is obvious, and sometimes it's not. And sometimes it takes me a little while to realize, oh my gosh, that behavior that is annoying me or is making life difficult or is bizarre is actually behaviors that are hiding anxiety or OCD. So let's get into that. Before I get started, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the US and outside of the US. And you can schedule a free 15 minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Definitely circle back if you haven't reached out in a while because they're getting new providers all the time, they're getting new insurances all the time, and they're expanding globally all the time. So I always tell parents. If you haven't talked to them in a while, just circle back and see if they're in your area or they take your insurance. Okay. So let's talk about these behaviors. I made a list because I'm a list maker. You know that if you listen to me, not in a compulsive way, I just like my list and I'm going to go through them and they're not in any particular order. And some of them speak to anxiety. Some of them speak to OCD and some of them speak to both. So the first one is saying they're tired. I can't do that. I'm too tired, or it's just too tiring for me. I just don't have the energy. And a lot of times with a lot of things I'm going to be talking about, it's a mixed bag of what's happening. Anxiety and OCD can be really exhausting. Having those internal battles all the time and having those chemicals pumped through your body can really cause a lot of fatigue, and they can cause a lot of people to feel really tired. And the other thing is a lot of people with anxiety or OCD have sleep struggles. And so there's this overlapping issue where they're like not getting enough sleep, but sometimes on top of that is the tiredness of showing up for the anxiety or OCD. So I'm too tired to do my schoolwork might really mean I don't have the energy to have this perfectionism. I don't have the energy to make sure it's all perfect over and over again. And so I'm too tired because I can foresee how much energy that's going to cause me. And just the thought of it seems exhausting, or I'm too tired to go hang out with those people or do that social thing. And I can totally relate to this because when you have social anxiety, you know, ahead of time, a lot of people do anyway, that that's going to be taxing. Recently, my daughter had a dance and it was like a family dance for Valentine's day. And I had a really exhausting week because I had a free series going on and I was, I had presented at the IOCDF OCD camp. And those things really take a lot out of me. And I told her I'm just too tired. And really it was a combination of that's going to be really overwhelming for my social anxiety to sit there for an hour and a half. I don't know any parents. I'm not friends with any parents and I'm going to have to sit there really awkwardly while you are incredibly outgoing and are going to do some dances that are going to overwhelm my embarrassment level, (laughs) which is fine. She can be hurt, but I just knew it was like, it was just too much at that time. So when I said I'm tired, yes, I was tired, but it didn't mean like I just didn't get enough sleep. It was like, I just didn't have enough to fight my discomfort that my anxiety was going to bring. And I don't want to always avoid things. That's not the goal, but sometimes we just know it's just too much. Uh, We have to take care of ourselves as well. So if your child, you know, you say, take a shower and they're like, I'm too tired. It could be, and it doesn't always have to be. And it definitely isn't always. But if your child has a lot of compulsive behavior in the shower, they're not thinking that it's just going to be a shower. They're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to like shower for an hour. Or I'm going to have all these rituals or compulsions, or once I'm clean, it's going to be like, I have to try to keep myself clean. And that's so much energy. And so when they, when you say, go take a shower, I'm just too tired. I know for my daughter, it took me a little while to realize this, but after my husband died, she really didn't want to take a shower at all. And I would say, go take a shower. And she said, no, I'm just too tired. I don't want to do it. And then it came out down the road that, you know, she was ruminating and having all these thoughts when she was taking a shower and she wasn't able to avoid by watching her iPad. And so her too tired was it's too overwhelming. So be cognizant of that one, right? Cause that can show up and it doesn't mean that they're not tired but it might be an indication also that there's some anxiety or OCD muscle behind it. The next one is it's boring. (laughs) I kind of sometimes call that like a throwaway answer because some kids are uncomfortable saying it's too scary or it's too uncomfortable. And so they go for the default of it's boring because that pushes people away. And so when I say it's boring, then I save face and I don't have to feel bad and I don't have to go because you're like, well, if it's boring, it's boring. Fine. Then just stay home. But, and that can be the case. Everything I'm going to talk about, it can be face value. So let's just, so I don't have to keep saying that. Yes, these can all be face value or they can be other issues, but there are also red flags. If your child has anxiety or OCD and you're hearing this to me, it's an indication that I have to take it one step further and see the behavior from two different lenses. So it's filtering through my typical parenting lens. And then it's filtering through my anxiety or OCD lens. And we'll talk about that after the break, as far as what we do with all these things, because, you know, I don't like to just talk about the struggles without some solution. So the second half of this podcast will be what we do with all this stuff. But bored is one that I hear often. It is one of my son's go-tos is it's boring, not as much anymore because we're really working on communication, but that is a common one that I saw in my practice as well. The next one is oppositional. (laughs) This one's a popular one. So difficult behavior on whatever level. And so this can be aggressive behavior. It could just be defiant behavior. A lot of kids with anxiety or OCD get a secondary diagnosis of ODD oppositional defiant disorder. And a lot of times it's not ODD. It is, you know, just, they are, you know, it's fight, flight, or freeze and they are fight, fight, fight. And so better to dig my heels in and say, I'm not going. And if you don't, you know, appease my anxiety or OCD, I'm going to get aggressive. It's like anxiety or OCD has hijacked the family and it can show up with difficult behavior. And so that's a really tricky one. Also, I do want to discuss pandas pans just really briefly when we're talking about difficult behavior, when you see severe aggression, that is atypical for your child and out of the blue, and it kind of came along with the OCD issues or the anxiety issues. And you have other red flags besides that, but that intense aggression, like where they just see red and they are, they're out of control. That is to me, a, a big red flag to look into other issues. If it's not the norm for your child, And you can always go to panasnetwork.org to learn more about panis and Pans. Moving on from there, your child might be what might seem like they're picky, And so they only want that particular cup and they only want to sit in this particular spot and they only want you to say certain words or they only want to eat certain foods. Now, the key is that they weren't always like that. There are kids that are rigid and I'm not going to really go into all the other possible reasons why kids could be this way. I'm not, I'm not going to dive deep into it. There are sensory issues. There are spectrum issues where kids can be more rigid, but if you're not having those issues, Um, Because I think sometimes with ASD, when, you know, we're talking about autism and anxiety or OCD, a lot of times the things that are anxiety or are getting labeled anxiety or OCD are actually ASD. And that's a totally separate podcast. And I do have podcasts. I have one podcast on that, but in this realm of what I'm talking about, it's not, there's no historical pattern of them being picky in this area. It's just all of a sudden they only want to sit there and they get really upset if someone else sits there and they only want to you know, do this particular thing, or they only want to eat certain foods. That's a red flag because when you see sudden pickiness, that could be an, if your child already has anxiety or OCD, that could be an indication for OCD. It could mean that something's contaminated. They don't want to sit anywhere else. That's their spot. You can have intrusive thoughts or feelings about food. And so all of a sudden you seem really picky and your parent might just be like, oh, he's just picky, but actually he's looking for the food that he won't choke on, or he's looking for particular food that doesn't seem contaminated. And so we want to look at that through the second lens of parenting that I'm always talking about. You know, we as parents, we have to look through two lenses always when our kids having anxiety or OCD. And it happens instantaneous, so it's not like a tiring thing. It's just something that we have to recognize that we have to look at it from two different perspectives. Okay, the next one, I just I'm just listing these because I know they're not going to resonate to all of you and I want to just give you a big Snapshot of all some common ones. And you probably can think of some other ones maybe in your house that you're like, wait, I wonder about this too. Because I'm not going to mention them all, but it's just to get the juices flowing, to get you to see what could be, to get you to think out of the box and say, hmm, I wonder if that behavior that is new and that is, you know, doesn't make a lot of sense. I wonder if that's actually a behavior that's hiding anxiety or OCD. Okay, the next one is being overly concerned. And so if they're overly concerned about where you're going or how you're going to be or or your health, or they're overly concerned over the safety of the house, or they're really interested in a topic to the point where they're over-researching, then that also is a red flag. And these are just red flags. They're not like a complete loop to anxiety or OCD. They're red flags. They're indicators that we need to take a, a closer look. And so being overly concerned about anything over- Uh, that that's atypical again, right? So these are things that are just popping up is something to look at. I wonder what they're concerned about. And so we'll talk about the second half, but we want to get curious with those things. The next one, which I think is really hard for the heart is overly loving. And so all of a sudden you're getting a really overly loving kid. So over hugs, over thank yous, a lot of apologizing, uh, a lot of checking in with you, maybe saying I love you a lot. If that's out of the norm or it's starting to tick up again, we're going to have to take a second look at that behavior because anxiety or OCD can hijack that too. And the last one is learning issues. So maybe all of a sudden, and again, we'll talk about this in the second half. I know I keep saying that, but we'll talk about patterns, right? These are things that are not typical for your child. They are, they just start. And so a learning issue, they're all of a sudden having a difficult time reading. Or if they're having issues with math and their handwriting is starting to go downhill, those are also physical indicators of red flags for pandas and pans. And so definitely want to take a look at that as well and see what is going on. But my son had just right OCD issues and he all of a sudden couldn't read. And so he was doing a lot of avoiding of reading. And avoidance should be on my list as well because avoidance is probably one of the biggest behaviors that hide anxiety or OCD. If I avoid this, then i don't have to deal with my anxious thoughts or if i avoid this then i don't have to touch something that's contaminated so avoidance is like probably should have been number 1 cuz that's so obvious but i was thinking of things that are a little bit less obvious and so he was avoiding reading and then he was having a really hard time reading um and so if you're starting to see your kids struggle that could be for all sorts of reasons it might be due to perfectionism it might be due to anxiety around testing it might be due to like what he had which is just right ocd where You feel like you need to get things just right. It has to feel just right. So I have to keep reading until it feels just right, or I have to rewrite and rewrite until it feels just right, or I have to listen. And I feel like I'm not fully listening. And so I feel like I'm not being a good student. That would be more of a moral OCD. So it can show up in a lot of different ways in the anxiety and in the OCD camp of things. So when we get back, as promised, I'm going to break these down further and talk about how do we address them? so that we can help our kids' long-term success. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands, introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service. But again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice, too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff and then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to before I wasn't I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realised it was helpful to do like the exposures. Before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it, so it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. I definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's nice, bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it. And I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Welcome back. Okay. So what do we do with all this? Well, the first thing is we want to look at patterns in general. And so if my child is doing something that is out of the norm, is atypical, isn't their usual thing then I'm going to get that second lens on and take a closer look. For instance, if my child was, you know, all of a sudden tired and not wanting to do things, I want to take a closer look at that. And, you know, maybe through my anxiety or OCD lens, and then maybe through a medical lens, you know, what's causing that fatigue. If my child is saying they're bored, I want to look at the pattern. I want to say, what are we doing right now that they're bored with? Are they always bored for these things? And then I, maybe I'm going to dive into it. I'm going to say, what's the most boring part about this? Do they have meat to their answer? Or are they giving me a throwaway answer? And does the activity that we were about to do or that they were supposed to do part of their anxiety or OCD theme? You know, if we're doing something that I know can trigger them and they're telling me they're bored, that's even more of an indicator that we're going to st- start looking at it. If they're oppositional or defiant, what behavior or what thing happened before or after that they were doing, right? So again, we're looking for patterns. If they're picky, what has developed that pickiness? What's the worst part about sitting over here? What's the scariest thing that will happen if you, don't, if you don't sit there? What's the scariest thing if you do eat that, right? What's the hardest part about eating that? So asking these questions, and notice I'm not asking any why questions, you know, if you listen to me, I'm not a fan of why because it inadvertently puts kids on the defense. But when we ask what's the hardest part of what's the scariest part of, we just get a lot more meat to our, to the responses, if they're going to talk to us. And so watch how you're talking to your kids. If they're hyperactive, did I mention hyperactive? I think I might've skipped that one, but it's on my list. Sometimes kids are misdiagnosed as having ADHD because they're hyper and they're really being um, hypervigilant, which is different. And so. You get that increase in endorphins and cortisol, and all of a sudden you're bouncing off the walls because you're anxious. You can see kids who get really hyperactive right before bedtime or right before an event that they have to do. And so you want to ask yourself, is there a pattern to this? Are they only hyperactive right before bed when maybe they are anxious and they start to get into a fight or flight mode or they're hyperactive right before they have to do their homework? You know, kids who are hyperactive aren't going to be only hyperactive during triggering moments. And so that's something you want to take a look at. With overly concerned behavior. Interesting. Why are they overly concerned? And so I'm curious. I'm going to ask more questions, right? My daughter is really, she exemplifies this pretty well because she has a lot of existential OCD. And so her questions will sometimes seem philosophical, like she's overly concerned about the universe or where we're from. And she'll say things. And then halfway through, I'll realize that she's not having this deep philosophical conversation. She's looking fearful. And so sometimes I'll say, well, what's, what would be, I'm trying to think how I'd frame this because sometimes she'll say stuff like, I look at the moon and I feel so small and I'll say, how does, how does that make you feel? Makes me feel scared or like weird. You know, like when she gives me those answers, like it's scary or weird, then I know we're we're dealing more in her existential OCD because she is a deep kid and sometimes she'll want to have deep conversations. And so it's not always her OCD. We are driving to California a lot because of my 19 year old who's in college and we have to pass by these huge mountains as we're driving. And whenever we pass by them, she'll say stuff like these mountains make me feel so weird. And so, or she'll actually, she'll start with these, these are such big mountains. And it took me a little while. Cause I would say, aren't they beautiful? I know they are like so big. And she goes, I just don't, they make me feel weird. And so that once I am like, okay, let me look through the other lens. What's, you know, what's the most uncomfortable part about those mountains? It's like, they're just so big. And she has, you know, there are people who are afraid of small spaces and there are people who are afraid of big spaces. And it's one of those things that I have a hard time wrapping my brain around because I'm afraid of small spaces, mostly because I'm afraid of getting trapped. (laughs) And really, if we even go dig deeper in that, it's because I feel like I can't breathe. And so that's actually the core fear and she's the opposite, like big spaces make her uncomfortable. And a lot of people have that phobia. And so that's some, and I think it's even not a phobia because I think it feeds into her existential OCD of feeling really tiny and insignificant. So I'm looking at those things. If my child's all of a sudden hugging me all the time, and that's not characteristic of them, I'm going to look at patterns. When are they hugging me? Am I seeing a pattern to that? When are they apologizing? When are they shouting? I love you. Are they checking to see where I'm in the house, where I am at in the house, because a lot of kids with separation anxiety will say things to you around the house to check in. Where is the location of my mother? Uh, Mom, I love you. I love you too. Oh, she's in the laundry room. Okay. Now I know where she is. So what is the behavior serving for your child? And with the learning issue, again, it's the pattern of, um, when did this start and what anxiety or OCD issues are showing up as well. And asking those questions. What's the hardest part about reading? That's what I was asking to myself. What's the hardest part about reading? Well, I sometimes feel like I don't get it. What part do you not get? Well, I'll read a word and I feel like maybe I didn't fully read it. So I have to reread it. Well, that was a bigger red flag when he said that. And so now I'm going back again to explore more about that. So once you are looking at patterns and you have an idea that it is anxiety or OCD. So the first step is recognizing these behaviors through the second lens and asking more questions in a non Direct way, not a why way, but a hmm, I'm interested. Tell me more about this kind of way, right? With specifics, like what is the hardest part of, or what is whatever. And then once you determine, because they might give you a really good answer, like it's boring. Okay, well, what's the, you know, most boring part about it? Well, you know, my cousins always want to play Monopoly and it's I hate Monopoly. What's the worst part about Monopoly? I always go way down. I'm so annoying. Cause I'm looking for like, maybe there's a perfectionism thing, or maybe there's something wrong with Monopoly. I don't know. Monopoly is so boring. It takes hours and I'm just sitting there and I just, it's such a long game. I don't like it. And they always want to play it. Okay. Well, you know what? He just gave me a really legitimate answer and it seems legitimate. It didn't seem like a throwaway answer. because some kids will throw away something. They'll come up with something and it it can have some legitimacy to it, but you kind of get this feeling like, and there's something a little bit deeper. But so let's say you ruled out that it's something else. And you're like, yeah, this is definitely anxiety or OCD. And now I have an idea of what it is. And then the idea is to to do two things. One, educate your child on this connection. And two, for you to not get squirreled. So those are two different things. The first one is I want my child to, to connect the dots. And so I might even say, I notice that you get tired whenever you have to do your homework. And that makes sense to me because I know that you're so hard on yourself when you're doing your homework. And you know, what is supposed to take an hour will take three hours. So I totally get that that makes you tired. But the issue isn't being tired. The issue is the anxiety that makes you feel like you have to do all those things. You see what I did there? I just flushed out the squirrely behavior, the thing that's getting us squirreled, and maybe your child, and I'm helping them connect the dots because how often do all of us do things and don't realize it's our anxiety or OCD. I clean when I'm not okay. I like things organized and when I'm not feeling good, and when I say that I mean mentally, I get annoyed by my environment. I get annoyed by clutter in the corners, I get annoyed by stuff and so when those things are bothering me to a higher level that's not my typical cuz there is a low there's a low grade annoyance in general that I do have that I can ignore and be like I don't have time for that. It's fine. Just ignore it. It's not that my house is messy, but it's like the little corners that get cluttered with like the art supplies or something all, or a junk drawer needs to be reorganized in my mind. And when I notice that there's an uptick in that, and there's this huge drive for me to go and I can't function until I get to that corner or every time I see it, it really upsets me. Then I know, or I've had to learn that that is a red flag, that something's bothering me. Sometimes if I had an argument with someone or someone said something that really upset me, I won't realize it until I'm like cleaning like a mad woman. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? And then it makes me pause to say, what are you upset about? And then I just have to go back and be like, oh my gosh, it was that email. That email obviously is really upsetting me because look at, look at my behavior. And so we don't even know this sometimes ourselves. And it's a beautiful thing to do for ourselves to become in tune with. What behaviors do I do that indicate I'm stressed or I'm having anxiety or OCD if that's your issue? So this is a, a good thing for all of us. So we want to teach our kids, you know, when you're tired or I know you're saying you're bored, but I also feel like I wonder if, right, we don't accuse our kids of you're actually not bored. You're anxious. We want to watch our language. There's such a big difference in how we talk that can either open up or shut kids down. And when we like, address them in a direct way it can seem very confrontational and so i try not to assume anything whether i'm talking to a parent or my own kids and i'll say you know i notice that you're bored that you say you're bored when we go to that restaurant i also know that the last time we went to that restaurant someone got sick and that was kind of a scary thing for everyone to see but i know especially for you because you have a metaphobia the fear of throwing up and so i'm just wondering if maybe it's more than bored maybe it's a little nerve wracking to go there right so notice my language. I'm saying, maybe I'm softening it. I'm saying, maybe I wonder I, you know, I, and I'm validating. I get that. It could be boring. I'm not discounting that. And so that language is really important when our kids are being oppositional. It's so easy to get squirreled. And so when we get squirreled, I'm going to talk about these at the same time, helping our kids connect the dots and being squirreled. Cause when we get squirreled, we are addressing the wrong thing. So if my child is oppositional and said, I don't want to go to school. And I'm like, you have to go. I have to go to work. You have to go to school. We all have our roles, right? I'm addressing the wrong thing. I'm addressing the opposition about going to school. Like they don't want to go. And if I've already deemed that it's anxiety or OCD related, I'm addressing the wrong thing. And when you get squirreled, you address the behavior instead of addressing the thing that's driving it underneath. And we want to address the thing that's underneath to be the most effective long-term. And so it's not that we have to ignore the behavior that's happening, especially when it's difficult behavior, but we don't want to address it like a typical parenting moment. You know, I go to school, I I go to work, you go to school. That's what we have to do. You know, there's responsibilities. It's not about responsibility. It's about the fear of going to school. And so it might look more like this. I, you know, well, even while my child's oppositional, I don't want to go to school. I know going to school can be hard. I know when we separate, it can feel scary possibly for you, right? I get that. And I know that school's, you know, one of the scariest places for you because you don't know what I'm doing during the day while you're at school. And I know that your, you know, Mr. Worry is like making you really think about that the whole time. And then you move into the therapeutic stuff. And we're not gonna go into that today because I spend a bulk of every podcast on those topics but then we're going to move into skill building, right? Like we don't want Mr. Worry to like always rule the roost. And if Mr. Worry tells you can't go to school, then when does he stop? He'll tell you, you can't go to work when you're grown up or he can't, you know, whatever. I'm not going to get into that part of it, but we want to then move into skill building. And so that's really important when kids are picky, right? I notice that you, um, let's think of a picky thing. I notice that you're trying to only eat soft foods and you say it's because you like them. And I also wonder if It has to do with your fear of choking because I'm noticing that you're only having soft foods. So noticing, and I wonder, use that language in all of the things that we're discussing and then don't get squirreled. So you want to validate first because there's nothing worse than someone saying you're not bored or you're not tired or "You're you're not just oppositional. You're afraid. It's like exposing them and they may not even know that that's what they're doing. And so you're like ripping an unhealthy coping mechanism right off of them whether they're aware of it or not. Um, Some people would think, oh, they're manipulating me because they're saying they're tired or they're bored, but they really just don't want to face their anxiety or OCD. You have to confront stuff with compassion and understanding, even if we don't get it. A lot of us do, but if you don't even get it, you have to understand that the level of struggle is so real for our kids that there might be unhealthy coping mechanisms that just kick in. Like I'm just going to be difficult. I rather rage than have to deal with this. And I rather, you know, say I'm tired. And And on the surface, some of them may not even realize that underneath there is anxiety or OCD. So we have to be very aware of that. And so when we're doing these things and trying to not be squirreled and trying to get them to connect the dots, one, it may be multiple conversations. You may not be doing this all at once. It might be to connect the dots. It's helpful to connect the dots initially outside of the time when it's actually happening. I notice that when it comes bedtime, you start to get really hyper and you start to like run around the house and um, you start to kick things or you get aggressive and you start to like jump on my bed. And I'm wondering if, you know, you're getting all those wiggles, depending on the age, right? I'm pretending like I'm talking to a younger kid, getting those wiggles because, you know, your Mr. Worries coming out and is saying, oh my gosh, it's almost bedtime. Bedtime can be scary. And so, you know, you get more hyper and then you move into skill building and it's good to have these conversations when you're not in the moment. So you can say when that happens, and I know, you know, maybe they say, yeah, I do get a little worried, or maybe they say they don't. I'm wondering what we can do to help calm your body before bed, or if they're oppositional. And I have a whole class called difficult behavior caused by anxiety or OCD. And um, I will leave a link in the show notes so you can check that out. So I'm not going to dive too deep into that because I have literally a whole course on that. I actually have, it's actually new. I have a webinar on difficult behavior. Maybe you want to take that. It's free and it's an hour. And I just talk about how to address difficult behavior for anxiety or CD in a different way than you would a typical behavior. So I will link that as well, because that could be helpful because that's a whole another dialogue of how we're going to do that in a way that is going to be productive and effective. That I'm going to address that difficult behavior, while addressing the anxiety or OCD behind it, so that there can be at least some sort of learning curve or some learning opportunity in that difficult behavior, which can be helpful. So the key is, and I'll just summarize because it's really not rocket science. But the key is look for patterns. Right? This is atypical, or this is more extreme, or I'm not sure, or this seems to be happening whenever there's a anxiety or OCD theme related to it. So looking for patterns and then exploring, playing detective, asking good questions, not asking defensive questions like why, right? And then if it is anxiety or OCD, it's helping your child connect their mind and body and their behavior, ideally at a time that's separate from them when they're doing it. That doesn't mean that you won't connect the dots when it's happening, but you have to be a little bit more careful to not upset them. If it's, especially if it's difficult behavior, but having that conversation of, I noticed that you have become overly loving. I notice that you're hugging me a lot and I love you and I love your hugs, but I don't love feeding Mr. O. And I'm wondering if this might be a compulsion and you may not even know that. And the way that we can figure that out is let's think about what happens right before you hug me. And if your child says, I don't know, you can say, I want you to start paying attention. Right. And then if they're like, yeah, I notice I have a thought that maybe you know, you don't know I love you or maybe you don't love me and I have to go and hug you. Ah, well, that's an intrusive thought. And so the hug then is a compulsion and we want a hug, but we we don't want Mr. O to hug me, right? And so how about we come up with a plan and then you move into the plan building, right? And the plan might be, how about for the next week, I hug you, I initiate the hug because Mr. O can't tell me what to do. That way we still get our hugs in, but we don't do it when Mr. O wants a hug, right? So then we're taking a behavior That was unrelated to anxiety or CD, but was hiding anxiety or CD. We are discovering it. We are labeling it. We're identifying it. And the most important thing is, we're coming up with a plan. We're coming up with a proactive plan, not that it will work out beautifully because it won't, because life doesn't work that way. But we have a plan, a proactive plan. So the next time you come and hug me, I might say, Oh, remember, that's Mr. O, right? And so I have some language and dialogue instead of just saying, I'm not sure what's going on. My child keeps hugging me. So I hope that you found this helpful. I think it's really good for us to be aware of the different ways that anxiety and OCD can show up that doesn't look typical so that we can stay one step ahead. So if you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to click a star and rate it and leave a review if you have some time um, to show my gratitude. I always like to end the show reading one of them. I actually don't know where I left off. (laughs) I'm sorry. Sometimes I'm like, which review did I read last? So I'm just going to read this one. I'm pretty sure I haven't read this one, but thank you. Amjam2k3 who said, love how real you are. You are a breath of fresh air. Thank you so much for all your work in providing families, education and suggestions for all the randomness that comes from anxiety and OCD. Well, thank you for taking the time to write a review. I have another one that I'll just read. I want to thank you, Sailor Guardians, who wrote, oh my gosh, Natasha, I love you so much. You're my idol, my biggest uh, fan, Natasha. You are the best person in the world. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) I don't feel like I should be idolized like that, but I appreciate your comment and I did want to read it because I appreciate you taking the time to write that. And I'm your biggest fan for writing that. So I hope that you guys find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll be back again next Tuesday. Take care.